It's time for episode 198 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, July 19th, 2017. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's seconds to none. I'm your host, Dan Morin, and I am joined by my fantastic co-host, Mr. Micah Sargent. Hi, Micah. Hello. I liked that one. Seconds to none. Thanks. Thanks. I'm thinking about working <laughs> out a little trademark there. Uh, this is the show where we talk about four tech topics with two wonderful guests. To my left, he is a, a many things. Uh, I don't know what, which I call him, a renaissance man. Or perhaps you could say... A Glenaissance man. Yes, it's Glenn Fleischman. Oh, hello. I'll, I'll try to make this clockwise, not clock foolish. <laughs> I preemptively punned you there, Glenn, so you're welcome. Whoosh, that was amazing. <laughs> that was fantastic. And to my left is uh, also someone who is a lot of things. No, I'm just kidding. It is senior editor at iMore, psychotherapist, and the internet's favorite giggle, Georgia Dow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to try not to giggle now for the entire show. <laughs> well, that that is not it. what our audience paid for, Georgia. Please. <laughs> <laughs> we paid for the laugh. Yeah, we paid for that laugh. Uh, all right, let's get it started today. I'm today's designated co-host, so I'll kick things off. Here's my question for you folks. 3D Touch slash Force Touch on the Mac and Apple Watch. Do you use it? What for if you do? And if you don't, why not? Glenn? I'm I'm actually I think I'm in the uh, I try to be in the 99th percentile of everything and I may be in the first percentile here. I use it all the time on my phone. I use it almost not at all on my Mac. And I've had a 12-inch MacBook Pro, the single uh, port USB version, uh, USB-C version uh, since it came out and that was one of the it wasn't the earliest but one of the early devices with uh with Force Touch or 3D Touch whatever the Force Touch right for that. And um I was like, well, at some point they'll make it more useful, right? I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting. I mostly trigger it by accident and there's a couple programs where if I remember, I don't have any muscle memory for it because I only use it in a couple places occasionally. Uh, I'll, if I'm using a program consistently that uses it, I'll be like, oh, yeah, if I – but I'm almost always force-touching on the Mac by accident. In iOS, um, since I think really iOS 10 made a big breakthrough for me, I used it before that, but I discovered accidentally something uh, that I tweeted about and half the people thought I was ridiculous for not knowing this. The other half were like, what? That you can force-touch or 3D-touch the left edge of your iPhone mm -hmm. and it brings up the app switcher, Right. I had no idea. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, and now I use that all the time. There has a, uh, you know, a, po a pop and a, what's it, pop and... Um, peak. Peak and pop. Peak, yeah. So it does both those for the app switcher. But um, uh, TweetBot makes really good use of uh, pop, pop and uh, peak. And um, uh, I use it for uh, uh, reminders uh, to dismiss things, uh, notifications from apps. Like uh, Castro added a, a, a notification pop-up that let you, if you were near the end of an episode and paused podcast playback... You could use that to uh, the force or three D touch to uh, archive or skip to the next podcast or what have you. So I would say I use it uh, at least a dozen, maybe sometimes dozens of times a day on my iPhone, and basically never touch it on my Mac. Hmm. Uh, for me, I use it on the Mac to do the, oh, I can't even think of what they're called. I think data detectors is the term. Uh, oh, but, yeah. if, you know, there's a word that I want a description for, then I will force touch uh, to see the description of said word or look up... Um, 
a, a tracking number or something like that. So that's pretty much the extent of it. I don't use all the fancy stuff where you can like speed forward through things in quick time. Um, and I think Final Cut and Logic kind of have the little you feel as the, the different tracks lock into place. So I guess I use that, but it's more because I'm forced to rather than I actually do. As far as iOS goes, a couple things there. Um, one, in iOS 11, I think people are going to be using it a lot more if they use Control Center because pretty much everything, uh, like all of the nuanced controls in Control Center are hidden behind 3D touch gestures. So I obviously have a lot of home automation technology in my home, and in order to act the shortcuts for all those, you have to 3D touch on the home icon in iOS. Um, a sad thing for Glenn is that as of right now in iOS 11, they have removed the shortcut that lets you force to, or rather 3D touch on the edge of the screen to no! access the uh, app switcher. So I, I didn't use that much, so it didn't affect me, but I know that a lot of people do use it and do love it. And uh, I heard a lot of complaints. So yeah, uh, iOS mostly, a little bit on the Mac. That's pretty much my use for it. What about you? Georgia. So force touch is still a thing. It's still a thing. They're still trying to make it a thing. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, force touch. That's a thing. Um, but thinking about it, I do use it in one case and only one case. So I guess I'm the the one of the least force touch users. I don't use the force. I am no Jedi. But um, the dark side is always better. So I use it to save a picture. That is it. I will use it to try to save a picture. Um, and that's it. Because for me, it's like, I don't know what it's going to do, depending on which application, which kinds causes me a little bit of stress. I mostly realize that it's there by mistake. And I'm usually angry because I'm trying to delete or add something or move something around. And by mistake, I press too hard. And I'm like, Ugh, force is not with me. And so <laughs> I end up by mistake using it. But I don't really use it at all. I have not found it exceptionally useful. But mostly, I think that if I knew what it used, and if it was like across the board for the similar things in every single application, I might use it more, but I don't. Yeah, there are places where I use it mostly on iOS. I actually just got a Mac with the first, I with a Magic Trackpad 2, which is the first time I've had Force Touch on my Mac. And I, after the first couple days, I turned off the Force Touch thing because, <laughs> like George said, I just kept hitting it by accident. The two level of click thing is just weird for me on the Mac. Like, it's so many years of muscle memory of using a trackpad having that extra thing there was just distracting and like glenn said it's it you don't know there are so few apps that mm -hmm. actually use it that you don't develop muscle memory for it so for me i i kind of gave up on it on the mac but maybe I'll, I'll try it out at some point if they if they soup it up a little bit on ios i use it more um i especially actually my favorite use of it is the in the music app the it brings up a contextual menu if you uh like force or 3d touch oh. on a song you can like add it to your up next queue and stuff like that so i use that a lot and i think that works really well as sort of like it's like holding down the control key on your mac and like or right clicking on on something on your mac so i find that to be a really a really good use for it but i always forget to use it in other places and places where i do remember and try to use it like um peek and pop on a on a link I find it so dumb to peep and peek and pop on a link because you'll tap and hold a link and then you sit and wait for the link to load <laughs> and you're like, why am I doing this? Like, I should have just like tapped on it normally. Like, otherwise I'm just sitting here holding my thumb on the phone. So 
Thanks for your thoughts on that. Let's go to our second topic today, which comes from Glenn. Oh, yeah. So the story came out this week about um, Google Glass is back, but not in the um, fashion forward or backward, uh, embarrassing point and laugh at people version of it. <laughs> Rather, it's being used for something useful in factories. And I was I was not exactly shocked by the story. I was more shocked that Google had managed to kind of keep it quiet how much they were working on this project, because I always thought the original Google Glass was an interesting demonstration project that was way overhyped and shipped way too early as something that was real. Now they're finding that in um, with enterprise partners and integrators, they're finding the very boring thing that it's um, it, it's a very useful tool for factory workers because it gives them an overlay of information that they can see as they're working on something. And I thought, gosh, you know, this reminds me of Segway, which 20 plus years ago was overhyped as something that was going to change every city in America. We'd redesign cities around it. And you know what? Turns out it's really good for meter readers it's, uh, and, and in factories. And so this led me to think, like, are there other technologies that you think they've been overhyped and we need to see them being used by people who have repetitive jobs or jobs that involve certain kinds of tasks, or maybe uh, the, the or the more specific question of, um, does it surprise you that Google Glass has found a really great market? It's just completely unlike the one that it seemed like Google was first going for. Ooh, I'm glad you asked that second part, because that first part was going to take me <laughs> quite a bit of thought to, well, to come up with something. On the spot. <laughs> um, but yeah, as for the second part, I, I think that I am not surprised. I was able to give Google Glass a go. Um, and, you know, it was always the case that hearing the stories about how it was maybe used in things like surgery and, uh, yeah, in factories and for people who, you know, needed to know kind of what the next part was and, and what they were building, um, that stuff makes sense to me. And I think that, you know, having used it, thinking of people using it in that way makes a whole lot of sense. Um, I think at the time, you know, we were maybe not ready for that technology just in general. And uh, the way that it was marketed and things like that, of course, kind of affected the way that we saw Google Glass. And I think as uh, time goes on, and we kind of are, are really into AR, and VR and all of those types of experiences, Google Glass would make more sense. I don't know if we'll ever see it, but I think that for right now, yes, it certainly makes sense for use in factories. And it doesn't surprise me that Google is, it feels like it's a bit of uh, Google trying to say, see, it, there was a reason for it, uh, as much as it is to just um, wanting to keep the technology and, and find a good home for it. Google glasses back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's funny because when I saw the story, I was like, really, Google Glass? Can't we let it die? Um, but that's just my, my main thought because of the name and all of the bad press that it got and the guy in the shower. It's, it's just oh. a little bit too much. It's, I think that they would need to just change the marketing. I think that it, it's a great idea. I think that AR is really helpful, and that's definitely the way that they're going. And I think that there'll be a lot of uses to it. I think that they should rename it something different because it does carry a lot of a negative stereotype just because of the way that it was unveiled, um, the type of hype that it got. And I think that it carries a lot more negative connotations. I think it's exceptionally useful. And so I'm, I'm happy to see that. And I think that it'll be really helpful. I think that in the end, an overview display is going to be something that we'll feel very comfortable with. I think that, um, as Glenn, as you mentioned, it was given out too soon and in too strong of a manner in a way that left kind of a negative taste in everyone's mouth. It's expense. It's um, 
overly techy factors to that. Um, and so uh, it, it made me feel I cringed at first and then I went, no, but I love AR and I love virtual. I think that it is the way of the future to that. So I can see how it would be really helpful, make things be a little bit more interesting and also save us a lot of time to be able to have an overview that would be able to give us information that we need without having to one, if you have your hands that are going to be able to be now free instead of having to touch things and take a look. I think that that makes a lot of sense to that. So though my ne- first reaction was very negative to it, um, I think that it is a really good idea and I'm, I'm kind of happy to see it back. Yeah, I like I like your renaming idea, George. I think they should shine it up and call it Google Gloss. I feel like that's, Ooh. there you go. That's free. That's free, Google. It's free. Um, yeah, no, I think AR and VR are especially good uh, ideas of w- things that need very situational uh, examples of the like yeah. of use and i think it's tricky because both with that and with vr it's a lot harder to demo it because fundamentally uh, a friend of mine who works on vr stuff was expressing this the other day because he says fundamentally the problem is like what you're trying to demonstrate is not communicated in the media in which you can demonstrate it so for example like if you're advertising for a movie and you show screen like video of a movie it's like well that's essentially the same thing that you're going to then watch but if you try to show a virtual reality experience, an immersive experience, but you're watching it on a flat 2D screen like it was a movie, it's really hard to communicate why you would want to do that or what's compelling about it. But if you go in and use a virtual reality headset and actually try it out, nine times out of ten, I find people come away from that thinking like, whoa, that was really cool. But it's just really hard to distill into a message. Well, that is two topics down, which means it is Halftime here at Clockwise, and this week's episode of Clockwise is brought to you by our good friends at Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for ingredients, and they're building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals in 40 minutes or less. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. And by shipping the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, Blue Apron is also reducing food waste. Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient in your delivery arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. I've used Blue Apron a bunch. I've cooked a lot of delicious meals with it. And basically now I start craving like fried catfish every time I get a box because that's usually what's there. And I love fried catfish so much. But you can choose from a variety of new recipes each week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. You'll be able to cook meals like seared chicken and creamy pasta salad with summer squash and sweet peppers, creamy shrimp rolls with quick pickles and sweet potato wedges, Fresh basil fettuccine pasta with sweet corn and cubanelle pepper, or chili butter steaks with parmesan, potatoes, and spinach. And as always, I'm glad that I have lunch directly after this show. <laughs> There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. Check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com clockwise. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So get started today by going to blueapron.com slash clockwise. We'd like to thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, halftime's over. That means, Micah, you're on the block there. Woo! 
Woo! Okay, so, uh, you know, Apple came out with uh, stickers and iMessage apps, and people seemed excited about them at first, but it kind of died down. Well, I found myself using stickers and some iMessage apps again, and it's interesting because uh, no matter who I'm talking to, be it a techie person or non-techie person, they always say, oh yeah, I forgot about stickers. So I am curious, if you do use iOS as your, your main system, your main operating system, do you use stickers and iMessage apps? Uh, why or why not, Georgia Dow? So I am like the main person that they are aiming these stickers at. I love Bitmoji. I like funny, quirky, strange things. And so I was a huge sticker user. But I use them less and less often. And I think that one of the main reasons is that it's they don't really have a great search function. I have to kind of like, I have my main ones that I've used, but if I want to find something specific, I'm going to have to search through them. Plus I have a lot of different sticker packs. And so that means a lot of searching through. So the amount of time it takes me is, um, it's just a huge time save to be able to find it. Then I'm frustrated because I'm like, no, I have to scroll back. It wasn't this one. No, actually I'll go with Star Wars. So I end up not using it versus I still use Bitmoji. I might be one of the only ones but I still use them. I think that they're funny. They're easy to use. They have an easy search function, so I don't have to really deal with that. And so I will use stickers if I feel kind of pressured into it because someone else just stickered something. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'll sticker as well. But it is not the same fun enjoyment that I used to have. And I think that it's more of a management problem to that. And I think that its use is small where, you know, I could use emoji for something or I could use bitmoji for something. And stickers is kind of like in between both, but not as good as either. You know, it's funny. I noticed that you're talking about stickers, but very little mention of iMessage apps, which is totally correct because iMessage apps are by and large. Oh, wait, what are iMessage apps? Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, that, that's exactly right. What are iMessage apps? I mean, basically, Apple positioning iMessage as a platform seemed like a good idea. And I feel like maybe was in some ways designed as a... Uh, not exactly a Trojan horse, but like a lead into getting people comfortable so that when Apple Pay comes out and is integrated in iMessage, that people will be very used to using that for things like that. But uh, honestly, I don't think most people do use any of the iMessage apps. I've tried it a lot. Like Georgia, I have way more things in that stupid drawer than I can keep track of. And so that makes it really hard to find what I'm looking for. Really, you get past like three or four sticker packs or, or apps, and it's just a nightmare trying to find things. So... I use stickers from time to time when I remember it. I probably just end up using emoji way more frequently. I've weirdly enough started using the tap back thing where you put like little badges oh. on things more. I don't know why people started using them. So I got kind of sucked into that. Um, but I forget about the stickers most of the time too. And then I go on like a little sticker run where I'm like, oh yeah, stickers. And I put stickers in a bunch of things and then I stop using them again. So uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think this was a very sticky piece of technology all day today <laughs> oh jesus uh well dan uh dan you ignorant uh, no sorry the, uh, <laughs> this, this reminds me of uh <clears throat> excuse me this reminds me of the 3d touch force touch thing too is that um uh discoverability like i forget i have stickers too because they're not discoverable you have to like tap and do all this stuff and um i remembered the other day i had iMessage apps i'd actually completely forgotten about those also even though i have a bunch of them installed because uh, they're hidden um but yeah i i forget i have stickers and when i remember i use them like dan just briefly and um somebody i was texting with someone the other day and i was like oh i should put some kind of mac icon on this text messaging and i 
uh, found the classic Mac pack that was, you know, free. And I stuck a bunch of stuff off the mess uh, and over their messages. And they said, oh, my God, those are great. Where did you get those from? And I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> Apple gave these away. And it's that <laughs> unknown and undiscoverable. Exactly. So I like Georgia. I like, uh, you know, emoji. Um, I'd rather tell a story with emoji. And I have um, the Gboard uh, keyboard entry system from Google that has an emoji finder. So I don't have to leave the keyboard. I can tap and type one in or look at my frequent emojis and and drop them in. So um, I'd prefer to use that. And it's much more discoverable and easy. And um, stickers just didn't scratch an itch for me. Um, I don't know if stickers are supposed to scratch itches, but it, they certainly didn't. Uh, I think those are all good answers, all basically what everyone else's experience seems to be. Um, I think that, you know, it's interesting. iMessage apps, as George is like, what are those? Yes. Uh, basically, anything that's not a sticker that works in iMessage. Um, and to this day, I continually am roasted by my partner because of one time when we were trying to plan with a group of people uh, where to go out for dinner. And I was like, oh, I know. We'll use a Polls iMessage <laughs> app. That'll be great. Except everybody has to download yep. that app. Yep. And so now every time I bring up like messages or anything like that, are you going to make me download an app? Is what I hear from. <laughs> my partner. So I pretty much don't talk about iMessage apps around him or around anybody. But stickers, I think, uh, have the, the chance to be fun, but they have to be good enough and like front of mind enough that you'd want to use them. And I don't think that happens very often. Um, more times people just either send photos or yes, use like a keyboard that has it built in. And the one thing that I would say is everybody should totally check out an app called Sticky AI. Uh, you take a photo, it uses artificial intelligence type stuff, image learning to uh, cut out around you, and then you can add text and stuff on it. And I ac actually sent Georgia one of these uh, this morning. It. And she thought it was funny. So clearly there's, you know, some good stickers out there. You just have to find them. Uh, but thank you all for your answers. Let's move on to George's question. Okay, so my question is, what effect, if any, has social media had on the quality and consumption of news? And I'm talking Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, whatever it may be. Oh, man, besides just being really depressing. Um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing that I have noticed uh, is that... People really do tend to self-select news sources when possible, self-select news sources that agree with them. Um, and I think this happens more on Twitter because of the fact that you have much more control over not only who you're following, but also there's somewhat less expectation of, of sort of like a social relationship. Like you look at, at Facebook and a lot of people treat that like, okay, the people on Facebook are like my family and my friends. And then you get the algorithmic timeline involved and what you see maybe doesn't always agree with like what you're thinking. I have a lot of people who I know a lot of people who complain about seeing posts from relatives that they don't agree with. Um, Twitter, I think, tends to be a little more insular in terms of being a part of a smaller, like, ecosphere or bubble that tends to, you know, reinforce the same things that you're thinking. Um, and, you know, part of that is just our environment is more um, delineated than it used to be in that way. Um, but I, I do think that especially with things like um, Google came out with a thing just this morning that is a like a personalized feed of news about stuff that you want to um, that you've registered interest in. And I think that that's interesting, but potentially worrisome because you really can 
pick down into the nitty gritty of like, all right, I only want to see stuff from these news sources that already sort of agree with me about like what I'm thinking on these issues. Uh, and you don't get exposed as much to contrary viewpoints. And you then become sort of more inured to thinking like, well, all those contrary viewpoints are stupid because they're not my viewpoint. So, <laughs> you know, there's great power in technology and being able to dig up things that you wouldn't necessarily find uh, and to be exposed to new ideas and stuff. But a lot of times it also enables us to close ourselves off from everybody else. Well, building on what Dan said, I, I've tried to consciously um, incorporate more. I'm fighting the, I'm swimming upstream against the the news feed, right? The the stream of news is at me and I'm leaping like a salmon in the mighty Northwest <laughs> up against that feed um, to try to find other opinions. And, you know, so since the election, I, you know, I absolutely noticed during the election cycle, there were more voices I typically disagreed with that I agreed with more. So I'm sort of on the left side, not far left. And there are people on the center and right of center who I used to drive me crazy. And suddenly I'm reading them all the time. So I uh, I realize that um, I don't use Facebook for news typically. I just don't trust it. So I use it for social things. And my Facebook is amazingly calm and has actually very little news stories show up in it because Facebook responds to how I work. So I can use Facebook and not get aggravated, which is one thing, but it's also hiding from me what a lot of other people are talking about. Um, on Twitter, because I follow people whose views I don't entirely agree with, like I don't follow far right people and alt right jerks. I follow people who are who have ideas different than me, whether on a political spectrum and sometimes on other spectrums of, of human existence. And because of that, I use an app called Nuzzle, uh, N-U-Z-Z-E-L. It's been around for a while. And Nuzzle looks at um, my, uh, it aggregates stuff that bubbles up out of people I follow in Twitter and presents that by popularity. And so I'll use Nuzzle and it'll often expose stories to me that I didn't even notice in my feed because people were talking about them. I'm not saying I'm, you know, I've broken out of the echo chamber and I'm super well-rounded, but I'm definitely trying to fight against, I'm trying to use the tools of social media to let me hear what other people are talking about. And I, I think because social networks tend to put that dial all at zero, we're all getting stuck in that kind of, um, you know, persistent uh, uh, echo chamber. So I think for for younger generations, at least, um, like my my siblings and, you know, potentially even myself, uh, I think that social media has done a good job of making us really dadgum impatient. And we are uh, oftentimes, you know, not willing to take the time to read through an entire article or, or what have you, or watch a full video, which I never, ever, 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 ever want to do. But that's, that's aside from the point. Um, so in that case, you know, we see a headline and then ready to react, or we see a tweet and are ready to react and not go and read the full thing. And that's why we have the whole, did you read the article? And I mean, there are actual Facebook posts out there that just have a ridiculous headline to draw, uh, you know, anger and, and madness, and then you click on it, and it's a whole different story, just to prove the point. So yeah, I think that social media in that way, because we're kind of speaking in smaller and smaller character amounts, kind of makes us impatient. And also, it means that we have to be better about how we uh, communicate information so that we get the point across without having to um, have people click into things, which is kind of scary. Yeah, I, I, I agree with everyone. Um, I think that Yay! I think that there's definitely some benefits in that news can come from anyone. I think that in places where there's something happening that could be very grave, it's nice to be able to get 
reporting from first person. And I think that for the time factor, I think that that's really wonderful. I think, though, that it does add to that feeling of tribalism and cognitive dissonance in that you can kind of tune out any opinions that may be different from yours. And that does cause us to be in these little tiny thought bubbles where we don't have to even listen to anyone that has a differing opinion, which feels really good and safe, but it doesn't allow you to look at things from another perspective. I think that the idea of immediacy has taken precedence over accuracy. And I think that I as well sometimes will look at the headline and be like, yeah, good enough. I got the information that I need from this. I'm not going to read through it. And I know that that's not the right way to do it, but I do. And so I think that breadth instead of depth has been what we've dealt with. And I've noticed that attention spans seem to be getting shorter and shorter and probably the, the social media that we use often to, to consume our um, journalism and news from is not the only cause to that. But I do think that 140 characters is often the way that we take our news. And so slowly it's going to be like, you know, fire bad, trees good. Like, and that's it. That's what we need to know. Excellent. Well, four topics down, which means we've got just enough time uh, for a bonus topic. This week's bonus topic brought to you by, now oh, what the hell? The Caledonian Gambit by me. <laughs> I can totally do that. It's hey, did we agree to this? <laughs> hey, there's an audiobook version that comes out tomorrow, so it's topical. There you go. Enjoy. All right. So this is a relevant topic uh, because my bonus question today is, if you could have one piece of science fictional technology, what would it be, Glenn? Well, I, I would say self-driving cars, and then I remembered where we, li- what you know, what time it is. We actually have those. So, um, no. So I, I'll go one step further, which is uh, autonomous flying taxis. That's what I want. Hello, everyone. We are autonomous flying taxis. We're from Brooklyn. Um, <laughs> I, I would have to say that if I could have the technology, it would definitely be. And I'm sorry, Georgia, if you're going to say this, but I want the Hollow Deck so mm-hmm. bad. So um, I, I have one. I, I thought that it was already going to be taken, so I'm actually kind of excited. I have okay, I have two, but I, I always break the rules, right? <laughs> on the show. So one is Iron Man's suit, oh, um, along with Jarvis. Oh, that was one of the ones I was going to oh, pick. Yeah. Yeah, you, you like really well like well I've always wanted to fly, and Iron Man suit would be so awesome, and that would be really really cool. But then I thought, well, that would be one, and the other would be a TARDIS. Because, oh my God, you picked both like, of mine! Ah, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh man, uh, I feel like I got totally totally jumped here. I'm just gonna pick the Millennium Falcon and say it counts as science fictional technology. <laughs> Screw all of you. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> Uh, because I want the fastest hunk of junk in the galaxy. That's all it comes down to. All right. On that note, (laughs) I think all we have left to do at this point is to thank our guest this week, Glenn Fleischman. Thank you so much for being here. A pleasure. Thank you. And Georgia Dow, thank you and your giggle for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So until next time, we'll remind you, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.